Last time we heard that Lot was giving, you know, Lot, the nephew of Abraham, or Abram, that he was given a chance to select a land for himself. And we recall that he selected a land that was well watered and it, it looked like the garden of the Lord. A lot believe that it, 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 it was so wonderful that it looked like the Garden of Eden. However beautiful that land looks on the outside, its beauty was not reflected of the evil that was occurring on the inside. Remember the old adage that you can't tell a book by its cover? That's when you were warned, we were warned about making decisions based on how things looked on the outside or, or, or made a decision based on uh, our initial impressions. My mother used to tell me that all the time. Well, David, you can't tell a book by its cover. Imagine buying a car without looking on the inside or without driving it. Imagine purchasing a home without walking on the inside and uh, checking the water, the electricity, the floors, the furnace, and other critical systems in that house. Imagine uh, buying those things without checking it out. Well, here's one for you. Imagine getting married and not knowing the person who you're going to marry. Amen? Imagine getting married and not getting counsel. Brothers and sisters, you can't tell a book by its cover. And neither could Lot tell what kind of land he was about to go in uh, just by looking at it with his eyes. But yet, without discernment, he jumped in anyway. Kind of like a lot of us jumping into contracts anyway. A lot of us dating people and marrying people, we have no business being with in the first place. Because we're looking at them from the outside, believing that what we see on the outside, oh, that automatically goes on the inside. And I tell you, when you see someone and you see something that you don't know much about, that all you're looking at is a tourism video. All you're looking at is all the good points. And you don't see uh, the rickety houses on the east side. And you don't see all the violence on the west side. And you don't see all the troubles in the land. All you see is when you're pulling up uh, to the beachfront of the thing that you want, you just see the beautiful blue sky and the nice calm waves and, this, and the sandy white beaches and say, yes, that's what I want and I want to live there the rest of my life. Brothers and sisters, you can't tell a book by its cover. Lot, he was not able to see because of the lust that was in his eyes. Remember that first John chapter 2:16. It was the lust of his eyes that drew him into this internal contract and not the spirit of God. So today we will see Lot reaping the fruit of his choice. 
But mainly, listen to this, what this entire chapter is about, it is about Abraham and the change that occurred in his life. You know, Abraham, he continues to change. It is not the change of life, as some would think. But Abram, he continues to morph and continues to strengthen in his faith as time goes on. In Abram, we will see a faith that was once passive, but has become both active and God-honoring. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. So as we saw for Lot, a great opportunity turned out to be a tremendous curse. A great opportunity turned out to be a tremendous curse. Would you read with me please, beginning in verse 8. Verse 8. And the passage reads, Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zebuim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim. With Kedalamer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Golem, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elasar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, in other words, tar. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. The land of opportunity became the land of oppression. The first two-thirds of Genesis 14, beginning in verse 1, uh, deals with the various nations who went to war. Those who supported uh, Kedorlaomer and those who rebelled against him. This is what this first section was about. So it appears those five kingdoms were vassals, you know, something like slaves. And, and, and we kind of talked about that before with the children of Israel and their relationship with Yahweh. So they were vassals for 12 years until they had enough. They were subservient to Kedolama and all of his whims, and it happened for 12 years of having this one king just battering him over and over and over again until finally they had enough. Finally they said, Enough is enough. Have you ever been criticized or hurt for so long until time finally came that you just couldn't deal with the nonsense anymore? You say that I'm going to put up with it for a while, hoping that it would just, uh, uh, the situation would become and, and, and turn more positive. But eventually you say, enough is enough. 
as you will no longer subject yourself to the whims of another person who doesn't have your best interest in mind. This was the mindset of those five kingdoms. Here in this battle, Kilalamar and his supporting kings, that what happened here we see in verse 12, that, uh, that, that they hurt and they captured many people of whom Lot was one, Abram's nephew. Because Lot was living in Sodom, uh, automatically you can't always tell one from the other. So because he was living in the area of Sodom, uh, to them he looked like a Sodomite. These were the people Lot said he wanted to live near so that he would have space for all of his stuff. Uh, but as we know, it didn't work out too well for him, as we just read in our passage, uh, because Kidalamer and his cohort of kings, that they came down and they took Lot captive and they took all the stuff that he had. So they captured him and they took all his junk away. You know, if uh, you are not careful, if we are not careful, the things that we value the most can become our downfall. If we are not careful, the very thing that we value the most will become our downfall. Now, I know sometimes you, you look at stuff and say, I know that people want cars and they wanted a car so bad uh, that they finally got that car and they worshiped that car and things happened to them and then finally it all turned into nothing. Well, not only am I talking about mess, I've also counseled parents. What do you mean? I I've counseled parents uh, to tell them that, you know, that you have your child lifted up too high in the family. What do you mean by that? Well, what I'm saying is that your child is more valuable to you than your husband. Or your child is more valuable to you than your wife. What I'm saying is that if you are not careful, that if things are not uh, uh, ordered in a godly fashion, uh, that uh, it may become your downfall. So the very things Lot cherished and tried to make space for were the very things that he lost in battle. Lot had a very, uh, in such a high regard for all of his junk uh, that he allowed his eyes, as we discovered last time, uh, to decide what the Spirit uh, should have directed him in. Verse 12 says, Lot was taken captive along with all of the stuff that he was trying to make room for. But listen to this. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And this is what Jesus says, and you can read a little bit more in your own time. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus, uh, the passage says this, And he said to them, Take care, and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. So your life is not built up of all the junk you got at your house. Amen? Your life uh, is not strong because you have a 90-inch television sitting in your 12-inch uh, uh, living room. That should not be the focus of our lives 
Because when that becomes the focus of our lives, then that becomes, it can become our downfall. In Genesis 13, we saw how one's possessions, uh, how they even bring strife. Because uh, I no longer have any room for my stuff. And because there's no room for my stuff, you need to move your stuff back so I can get a little bit of more of my junk in the house. So interesting enough, not only did they take Lot's possessions, they also took Lot as well. But you know, believers can do amazing things with an act of faith. Believers can do amazing things with an act of faith. Uh, Genesis 14, beginning in verse 13 now. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. I don't know about you, but if I had to go rescue Lot, I'm not sure if I would have brought all his junk back with me. As a matter of fact, I probably would have said, you know what, I hear you all talking about my nephew, but we need to go ahead and let him languish up there with that king for a little bit before I decide to uh, get up off the couch and go help him. You know, a lot of times that uh, 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 there's a difference uh, between those who have a mind that's full of greatness and a mind that's full of compassion versus a mind that just wants to make sure that they learn a lesson first. You see, people of faith, People of faith are able to move forward even after a conflict. People of faith are able to move forth, that you can progress and continue forward even after there has been a conflict. This, possible, this is possible due to the depth of faith and the dependence on Christ for everything. So out of concern for his nephew, Abram gathered forces uh, to rescue his family. Uh, and again, some might have said that, you know, maybe we need to teach them a lesson. Maybe they need to stay, maybe for a month, and then we'll go and get them. So Abram, nevertheless, he risked his own life and limb to save a relative who was generally self-serving at best. So Abram, he gathered his 318 men and of course, as I looked in this text, I wondered how in the world can Abram uh, take 318 of his own men and go after an experienced army? As a matter of fact, go after experienced armies. How is that even possible? That does not make any sense at all. How can this one man that does not have a military group go and rout an oppositional force? Was this simply some fairy tale? Was this simply a story uh, that was told because they're trying to make somebody look good? I said no, absolutely not to all of those. Uh, because we remember the story about Gideon, 
who was able to rout an entire army with how many folks? You remember that? 300. He was able to do that. And here we see Abraham with 318 men who was ready, uh, I would say, not within their own power, but under the power of the Spirit of God. You see, God can do the impossible things uh, when we have the impossible thing in front of us. When there is a, a brick wall before us and all we have is a feather in our hand and Jesus behind us, we know that the brick wall doesn't even have a chance. That we know that if God is behind that feather, that we can toss that feather and the entire thing can come tumbling down. Just ask Joshua. Joshua who fit the battle of Jericho. Jericho, Jericho, Joshua. He fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. This is what I believe that was behind Abram. Those 318 men. That was the fact that they were empowered by the Spirit of God. And in Christ, you're no different in Christ. Soon as you gain confidence, soon as you get your strength, soon as you know who you are, you're much like Abram. Soon as you've been asked to trust in the Lord, almost immediately, oftentimes we are plunged into a spiritual war. Everything is going fine, then all of a sudden we are uh, right in encountering face to face in the midst of a war, spiritual warfare. This is why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, as soon as you are strong in the Lord, then all of a sudden you are plunged into a spiritual war. So as you attempt to implement and walk in God's plan, these oppositional forces of all stripes will come against you. So be aware, brothers. Be awake, sisters. That if it has not happened yet, you already know my story. Then it's on the way. Amen? It's not that we want it, but it is a reality. I was uh, talking to uh, uh, a gentleman when I was away. And... Um, the gentleman, uh, he saw me and he knew that I was a pastor. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, well, wait a minute, pastor, then you tell me why is it that, you know, the church has always split up this, this people, these group of people, they're believing this, this group of people, they're believing that. Why is all these things going on if the church is supposed to be one? I said, uh, I said number one, you can't get mad at all the preachers. He said, well, why is it that you got this church, they're doing this and all these? I said, number one, I said, you know me. 
So you mean to tell me that every single pastor, every single preacher that you know is corrupt and wicked? I said the problem is, is that many people, they're looking at certain ones who have a larger influence and they believe uh, when they go bad that all of a sudden everybody else is bad. But that's simply not the case. You have to understand that from the very day that Jesus walked on the earth, when Jesus says that I am the Savior of the world, do you realize that there was a voice there that says, no, you not? And as a matter of fact, those voices, they hated so much of the message of Jesus Christ. They hated Jesus so much that they killed him. So from the very beginning, there are oppositional forces that want to stymie and stop and prevent the message of Jesus Christ, the message of hope, from going forward. So there will be opposition in your life if you dare to mention Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, prepare for battle, but worship the Lord for victory. Prepare for battle, but worship the Lord for victory. Amen? So victories are possible through the presence of faith. While the word faith isn't used here in Genesis chapter 14, uh, we see that it was uh, Abram's deep trust in the Lord that he was able to successfully carry out these campaigns. You know, it, 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 it wasn't about uh, Abram saying that, you know what, you, you call my mama something, so therefore uh, uh, I'm going I'm to go fight you. It wasn't about that uh, they called uh, Abraham names. It wasn't about what was being done to him. It was all about the unrighteousness uh, perpetrated on another. But this is the reason why he was able to be so effective in battle. So when you know that righteousness is not about you and all about Jesus Christ and helping others, then you know that you are on the right path. Therefore, by responding in faith, God gives more blessings. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That when we respond in faith, God gives more blessings. Uh, maybe you didn't hear me. Uh, one more time. When you respond in faith, God gives more blessings. You say, what are you talking about? Come on, come on, come on. Uh, Genesis 14, verse 17 and 18. For starters. After his return from the defeat of Kedalamer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheveh, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Abram ran with kings, but he was not a king himself. Isn't that something that you can be so powerful in the Lord that you can run with kings and not be a king yourself? This entire chapter, if you look at it, it deals with kings in one shape, or another. As a matter of fact, I want to challenge you, you take your pencil or your pen, whatever you want, and you go down and you circle every single time you see the term king. You will notice that uh, the word king is mentioned more than anything else. 
Why? Because you know that when you see something repeated within Scripture over and over again, that it has prominence and is trying to draw our attention. So it's like we sing king here, king this, king that, king this. At the end of the day, I believe God is saying, do you know who king is? Do you know who the king is? I believe this is what God is trying uh, to, uh, the point that he's trying to get across to us. Do you know who the king is? So as you know, that Abram's uh, previous stint with the king, the pharaoh of Egypt, that uh, it did not go well. There in Egypt, he demonstrated his lack of faith uh, when he was near those who possessed a greater title than his. Remember that? Uh, that, uh, that when Abraham, uh, he knew he had to flee to Egypt because of the famine in the land, uh, that he automatically knew that he was going to be in really, really big trouble. He knew he was going to be in big trouble if he did not uh, if he did not focus on God, and that's what he did. He didn't focus on God, so he decides to lie. The only title that Abram had was blessed of the Lord. But how many of you know that being blessed of the Lord is better than having any other title in the world? <laughs> you see, the world's titles are temporary, and some are deceptive. Not only are they short-lived, but they promise things they can't even fully deliver in the first place. So now we see Abram operating with boldness. He's operating with courage as he enters the battle to help someone he loves dearly. Abraham has grown in courage and faith as he was able to stand up against odds that uh, could have completely destroyed him. So the question we all must ask is, are we also growing in the Lord? Or do the lessons that God asks us to learn, do they simply fall to the ground? How have you grown in your faith lately? How have you grown in your faith lately? As a matter of fact, as you sit there and as you listen to this message, I want you to give a specific answer to yourself right now. This year, how have I grown in my faith? There may be time for some faith growing in here. It may be time because some of you may be stuck because you're only looking at the temporal and not looking at the eternal. So God said it is time. For Abram, it took him going through a famine and dealing with a greedy nephew which helped propel him to a place of greater faith. But now as we go to verse 18, we see this one king, Melchizedek, that he stands out among all the other kings. We've already heard that Sodom was full of wickedness. Uh, so uh, this king, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, it was like Jesus Christ, who was also priest and king. So Melchizedek was priest and king, and, and Jesus Christ, he is priest and king. You hear what I said? Melchizedek was priest and king, and Jesus Christ, he is priest and king. But it's also interesting that if you look in the passage, that Melchizedek heard about the battle and came out to meet Abram, but he never 
engaged in the physical battle. Melchizedek, that he came out and he greeted Abram, but it's like, well, wait a minute, man, if you heard that I was fighting, how come you didn't come and engage in the battle? Maybe it was because as Abram was busy engaging in the physical battle, that Melchizedek was fighting the spiritual battle in prayer on his behalf. You know, sometimes when we're going through, the one thing that we need more than anything else, a lot of times we don't need a bunch of people around us. What we need is people praying for us everywhere. We need that spiritual power, and oftentimes that spiritual power comes through the prayer uh, that, it, that intercedes on your behalf. So understand, Melchizedek, that he worships the Lord God. Verse 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So as you have read through the scriptures, there are certain individuals who stand out to us as being the stalwarts of faith. Originally, we could have said that uh, Adam and Eve, uh, that they were our first stalwarts of faith before the fall. And then there was Abel, uh, his true worship. Uh, can you imagine that your worship is so intense? Imagine, if you would, uh, that your worship is so good. Imagine that your worship is so God-honoring that somebody want to kill you. Somebody doesn't like the way you worship. And they don't like the way you worship so much that they become jealous and they want to pull you down. Never let anybody pull you down when it's time for you to worship. You go ahead and worship the Lord the way that you need to and don't worry about the rest because God is going to take care of it. After Abel, there was Enoch who walked with God and then he was not. Can, do you hear what the scripture is saying? saying that these men and women, that their honoring and worship of God was so good that, number one, there was someone that the devil came after. Number two, there was someone that another individual wanted to kill him and did. And then number, number three, there was an individual, Enoch, that his worship and his honoring of God was, was so good that he was walking down the street trying to catch the bus. Then all of a sudden, God just took him away and said, come on home. Can you imagine having that kind of worship? And I'm saying, look, Lord, if, when it's my time to go, take me like that. I don't want just just take me while I'm worshiping. Just swoop me up off this planet. I don't want to go through nothing. You know that's how we all are, right? I don't want to go through nothing. Just go ahead and take me. And I hear God say, well, what is everybody else going to think? Well, they may think that there was a rapture and they were left behind. So I ain't got nothing to do with that. So you just take me and I'll leave the rest to them. So now, uh, after Enoch, we also see that there was Noah. Noah, he walked the face of the earth as well and he worshiped the Lord. And then many, many generations passed away, and then uh, God called Abram. And we were privy to his conversion-like experience. God called Abram, and Abram followed God. 
And then we move on after that, rightfully so, to Isaac and Jacob, for whom the promise of the Lord continued through their entire family line, all the way through Jesus Christ. But we often miss one individual. We often miss Melchizedek, who was also very faithful to God. He was probably more faithful than Abram, as we see uh, Melchizedek in his maturity. We see an individual who is mature in his faith in the Old Testament. Abraham, you already know that God called him. He's out there lying, telling everybody that his wife was his sister. And you already know he didn't treat his wife like his sister. He treated his wife like his wife. That he could not depend on, on God. He was not there within his faith. Uh, nevertheless, he was still somewhat immature in his faith. But we see Melchizedek show up on the scene being fully mature. As a matter of fact, we see that he was a priest of God well before we hear about the Levitical or the, or the Aaronic priesthood. Melchizedek knew the Lord was possessor or creator of heaven and earth. He had good theology. Where did King, uh, where did Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, get his good theology from? It's because he obviously had an encounter with the Lord somewhere in his life. He had a developed and right relationship with the Lord. Always remember, when you think that you're the only righteous one around, that God always have other witnesses as well. He's always have a witnesses and never will be without a witness. God will always have a witness on this earth. Always protect the blessings of God. Always protect the blessings of God. Verse 21. And the king of, of, of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted uh, my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, uh, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anir, Eskel, and Mamre uh, take their share. So never negotiate away the blessings of God. Once God gives you something, don't negotiate it away. I, I remember one time that uh, I had, uh, I, I told some of you the story before, I had, uh, I, I had always wanted this one watch, but it was like really, really expensive. And I just, and I just, I, I wanted it, and that was kind of the end of that. And my wife, she knew it. Uh, and by the way, she did not buy the watch, uh, but I end up uh, somewhere down the line, I end up winning the watch, so I, I won the watch. And it just so happened at the same time, there was, they actually gave two of those watches away. And, and, and sometime later, I ran into another guy, that I, another pastor that I knew, who had also won the exact same watch. And uh, we were talking about I said, you know what, this watch was really a blessing to me. And he, he says, you know what, uh, that watch was a blessing to me. I said, what do you mean was? He says, in essence, uh, I, I, I think I'm going to sell it. Because so I think I could use, and it's not... It's not this watch, by the way, so you know, don't look at it. Uh, it, it is, I, I think I can use the money 
and buy me a TV more than I can use that watch. I said, well, you just go ahead. I said, but for me, this was a blessing from the Lord. And I know, and I'm going to keep this thing. Even if, if this thing stops, I'm going to keep it because I know that this came from the Lord. You see, when the Lord lays a blessing in your hand, don't negotiate it away. You keep it and you protect it. The king of Sodom, uh, he, he decided that he wanted to trade or barter with Abraham concerning these goods and people. This decision from the king of Sodom comes from position, listen at this, he's going to negotiate and barter with Abram, but he comes from a position of defeat and not victory. How are you going to negotiate with someone else who has won the victory and you're going to try to one-up them? Verse 10 tells us that they ran away in defeat as they were sacked by other kings. The king of Sodom was defeated and he needed extraordinary help. This is probably why he wanted Abram's men in the first place. He wanted Abram's men mainly because he knew that within his own power that he couldn't do anything. So Abram told the king of Sodom, he says, uh-uh, he says, no deal. I don't care what you want to give me. I don't care about titles. I don't care about money. I don't care about peoples. I don't care. Uh, you are not going to give me anything because what I have, it has been established by God himself. <laughs> but, but remember, uh, a couple of chapters ago, Abraham didn't have that mindset. Remember that he ended up giving his wife away for some Campbells, some she-donkeys, some he-donkeys, some female servants, and some male servants, and some camels. Abraham said, okay, I'll take all the stuff. And he was kind of, you know, he, he was very passive in his faith. You see, when you are passive in your faith, that you let things happen to you. But when you are active in your faith, you go forward because you know you have the wind of the Holy Spirit behind your back. But sometimes we make decisions without considering God. And then when things go south, we blame everything and everybody except ourselves. You realize that? We make decisions without praying about them. We make decisions without getting godly counsel. And at the end of the day, we blame everybody except ourselves because we're not walking in obedience. When we tell, when God tells us we are of a royal priesthood, we live like peasants. When Jesus promises eternal life, we act like this life is all there is. So in many ways, we act much like Abram did in the beginning. Afraid and willing to get up, give up anything just to save our own neck. So we know that previously Abram, even though he was called of God, did not possess a mature faith. And this is why he made immature decisions. This is why he was able to lie when the pressure was on. This is why he was willing to give up his wife. Uh, this is why he was willing to accept the provisions of a pagan king and be blind to the provisions of God. Spiritual growth, however, it also happens when you are around other mature believers. Spiritual growth 
also happens when we are around other mature believers. So Abram's encounter with Melchizedek calls him to grow in his understanding of who God is. In previous examples, Abram, uh, 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 he was able to build altars, which implied that he worshipped uh, the Lord, but we never really see him worship. It says he called upon the name of the Lord, but we never really see him worship. We can believe that why else would someone build an altar uh, without giving recognition to, uh, to another. In other words, he built an altar. Uh, did he decide to worship? Yes, he did. But we don't see this language come from up out of him. We don't see his worship language come into play. Now, his worship language was probably not something that he developed on his own. As a matter of fact, if we look here again to Genesis chapter 14, verse 22, look at what he said. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God, most high possessor of heaven and earth. He says, it's, it's not that I just don't want to take your junk, but you don't understand. When I said that I've lifted my hand to God, that means I can't yoke myself to you. You see, not only are we giving our burdens to the Lord when we lift our hands, but also when we lift our hands to the Lord, that we are yoking ourselves with God. And when someone else tries to come and, and, and they want to take our hands of worship from up on high and take our hands this way, that we begin to empty out all that God wants to give to us. So Abraham said, my hands will remain vertical and they will not turn downward and I don't care how much junk you want to give me. Because you don't understand, Abram says. You don't get it. So Abram, he takes a spiritual stand. And he stood his spiritual ground using language of worship. But it didn't come from within himself, I submit to you. It came because he had an encounter with Melchizedek, priest of God Most High. Let's take a look at our passage again. Verse 19. And he blessed him. Matter of fact, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. It was already built into Melchizedek. And he blessed him. He blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 20. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies. Now let's go to verse 22. But when Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High. Do you not get it? That Abram, that he learned that language from the mature saint that was already the priest to God Most High. So he learned. And he grew in his faith because he had in an encounter with the faithful. How many people that you know that will increase their faith because of the way that you worship? 
How many people whose faith will get stronger because they see you rely upon the Lord and stand your spiritual ground? How many people will take notes because of your love of Jesus Christ? Melchizedek was steeped in this language because he had the honor of being a priest of El Elyon, God Most High. So I believe Abram's encounter with Melchizedek was about the need for Abram to know more about the Lord and how to more deeply worship Him. The encounters we have with godly men and women on a regular basis, brothers and sisters, should also cause our worship to grow that much more deeply. This is why we need the church, amen? This is why we need God's people, and I want you to know, I got to say it, and I got to say it over and over again, not just me. Don't you realize I need you? I've said this countless of times. Do you realize that one of the reasons I like listening to so many people, because when I listen, I learn. I learn about God from you. You that have not gone to seminary. I know, well, some of you got a little jacked up theology. I get that. I understand that. But I believe that there is something that you know about God that I don't know, and I want to listen and find out. That's why sometimes you'll, you'll notice me. You'll notice me in the corner somewhere. It's not that I'm being antisocial, but I'm watching. I'm watching how people are worshiping God because I want to learn. You see, the more I learn, the more capacity that I can have in worshiping my God. So one of the main points we must consider finally in ourselves is whether or not we're actively living out our faith or if we're sitting by passively, just letting stuff happen. The interesting thing about living in faith is that it is joyous on the one hand, but extremely challenging on the other. So when you come out of the mess, you give Great, you have great joy. A, a faith that is active means there are times you totally trust God while knowing that the results are not in our hand. Abram's faith, it was a faith that was growing and active. May you also have active and growing faith. May the faith you have tomorrow be greater than the faith you have today. May the faith you have today be greater than the faith that you had last year. Amen? Let's pray.